Thank you very much for coming. And uh, um, uh, most of our praise team and all that, they're in St. Louis. And so we decided, uh, instead of just trying to burn up air and make up things, we'll just uh, get to the good stuff, okay? Or whatever, not the good stuff, but we'll get to the word. I don't want to diminish what they do because, trust me, uh, it's always nice to speak after they have plowed the ground before I ever get up here. But um, as you know, um, we have a lot of young people and um, some chaperones in St. Louis. Um, yesterday, yesterday, uh, before the meeting even started, there were 35,000 young people already registered. They had already paid who knows, this could be 50,000 kids or more. So it's, um, please pray. Keep these young people in your prayers in the next couple of days because there's going to be ministries that are birthed out of this, and burdens that are going to be put on these young people, and they're going to, it's going to be exciting, it's going to be exciting. I, uh, I spoke at the very first Youth Congress Years ago, that was before the flood, and uh, but uh, it, it wasn't that big of a crowd. But to see what it has become is uh, really inspiring. Really inspiring. Um, tomorrow night, now you you can't. There's no live stream. It's what they call an in-person event. So, um, but if you can get someone um, tomorrow night, Ryan Gibbs will be singing. And uh, uh, she was one of, I forget how many young people, uh, huh? Twelve. There were twelve young people chosen across the country to sing a song that they had wrote and that they sang. And so, um, so tomorrow night she'll be singing in the worship set before the, before the word. So uh, I've got, Draylon's going to... Uh, I want him to be behind her. I, I want him to be behind Ryan. Um, I, I want us. I want to see not just Ryan, but I want. I want to be able to see the crowd she's singing to. And uh, I, I've got a cousin. Uh, she's been here to church several times. Her name is Susan Osman. Uh, Susan is the woman. Some of you may remember. My father had a dream several years ago when we were fishing and he said I had a dream that Susan married Douglas Douglas Osman my cousin his his wife had passed away she had a heart condition and uh, I guess Susan isn't my cousin she's married to my cousin but I was raised with Susan Susan and I were just kids in the Wellsburg church and um, she is this being live streamed it is. Can you pause it just for a moment? Huh? No. Susan became the, the, the overseer. I don't know if she legally adopted her, but Susan um, took in a, a little girl by the name of Jordan Gonzalez in Houston many several years ago. Jordan is singing tonight. And so... Uh, um, it's kind of cool that uh, uh, we got Jordan and Ryan talking to one another, 
And uh, Jordan's going to Urshan Graduate School here in a couple weeks. So I told her, we'll fly her up here and she can spend the weekend with us. And maybe her and Ryan can do a little duet together or whatever. But it's, it's kind of cool to have uh, Draylen. Out of all the people across the country, they're, gonna, they're doing more of Draylen's music than anybody else. And so uh, we're, we're, uh, we're being promoted, we're being highlighted right now, and we thank God for his favor that is on our young people. And uh, so you keep these people in your prayers because you can't do this kind of stuff without putting a bullseye on your chest. And uh, so please keep them in your prayers. Um, I, I, because we don't have a lot of preliminaries, this may seem abbreviated to you. Uh, this is pretty much a, an introductory message. Um, I, won't, I won't get finished tonight. But I want, to, I want to teach you on something called interrupted ministry. Interrupted ministry. And um, one of the things, there are, there are a lot of things about getting older I don't like. And, um, but there are some real benefits to getting older. And uh, one of the things I enjoy about getting older is that the way so many things in the word seem to come together now. Um, you know, after years of, of reading and, and trying to study the Bible and secondary sources, trying not only to understand what I was reading, but, but honestly to, to make my presentations more interesting to the audience, it seems like now it's like in a moment, in a moment there is this sweeping panorama of, of wonderful things. It's, it's, it's like you tuck one bit of trivia and, and another nugget of information and you tuck it away and all of a sudden one day it, it just kind of comes together. And uh, uh, it, it, it only comes with study and meditating on the word. And uh, let, 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 me, let me show you. Uh, a little bit of what I mean by that. I, I made a statement just off the cuff several months ago. And after saying it, I really didn't understand what I was saying at the time. But after saying it and, and really thinking about it, um, what I said, I won't say it was by accident. I'll, I'll, I'll believe that the Lord inspired my mouth. But um, I really think it's something very special I was referring to Matthew chapter 16 when uh, Jesus confronted his disciples. You know, who do men say that I am? And some say you're Elijah and some say you're Jeremiah. Uh, You're one of them guys. And then it's kind of like he rewires it, you know. It's 110 to 220. And... uh, in 16 and 15 of Matthew, he said, uh, what, what about you? Who do you think I am? And Peter, of course, gives, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, blessed aren't you. He said, you didn't get this except by revelation. Father revealed this unto you. And uh, thou art Peter. 
And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Peter, Peter's got the correct answer. You're the Christ. Greek word is Christos, which means the anointed one. And the only one who could be the anointed one was Jehovah in flesh, Messiah. And, uh, and when he said that, Jesus said, add a boy, add a boy, because, uh, I know that you didn't get this just because you're a smart boy. This is just a revelation. I don't know. I, I didn't, haven't taken the time to try and figure out where this particular uh, confrontation is in the chronology of the Bible. But uh, I wonder if it isn't very close to being after that embarrassing moment in John 14, when Philip said, uh, if you'll just show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. And in 14 and probably verse 9 of, of the book of John, Jesus said, man, I've been with you for three years. You still haven't figured this out. You don't know who I am. And, uh, but going back to my subject, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And of course, one religious group got it completely wrong and they made Peter into something he, the Lord never intended him to be. Um, Peter was not the first Pope. Uh, if, if anyone had claimed that title, I would say it was James. James is, is, is uh, the bishop, the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. And, uh, and when you study, you know, I'm just taking into account this is Bible class, so you, I'm assuming you know um, a little bit about what I'm talking about. Acts chapter 10 is Peter going to Cornelius' house. But when you get to Acts chapter 11, it's, it's very clear. Um, it said when Peter went back to Jerusalem, he was confronted. Uh, the message calls it his old associates. Uh, they argued with him. Now, if Peter was the Pope, they wouldn't have argued with him. And, uh, and you sure wouldn't do this. This is Galatians 2 and verse 11. But when Peter was, came, was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Um, this is, here's the, here's the message. Later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Um, this, of course, was written by Paul because Peter was going back to that old Judaism stuff, expecting Gentiles to be circumcised and all that, and, and Paul let him have it. You, you don't do that to the Pope. Um, and, and, and then, uh, I think our elders, I believe apostolic elders got it right when they taught that the church wasn't built on Peter, but upon the revelation about who Jesus was. And I say partially because I, I am convinced what he was saying, and it's what I mentioned several months ago, the church is not built just on the revelation of who Jesus is. But the church 
is built on revelation. And uh, let's face it, serving the Lord is a revelation. It's a revelation. I, I, I don't need to ask <laughs> my pastor, God love him. He would get frustrated when the attendance was down. And um, um, man, would, would he let us have it about being faithful to church. And I just never understood. Even as a kid, I'm saying, we're here. Why are you rebuking us about not coming to church? We're here. And, um, I don't need to ask this question to those in attendance tonight. I probably should ask this question on Sunday. Do you have the revelation about church attendance? I mean, look around here. It's pretty spotty. Honestly, that's embarrassing. We should be stronger. There should be much more people in Bible class tonight. But if you don't have revelation about coming together, you won't. You, you just won't do it. You, you that are here tonight, you're the diehards. You're the diehards. And um, my mom and dad never missed church. I'm talking twice every Sunday, Bible study on Tuesday. The youth service was on Friday, but everybody was expected to be there. Never. I remember relatives coming to visit us one time about six o'clock on a Tuesday evening. And uh, all of a sudden about 6.30, my dad disappeared. I, these, these were my cousins and relatives. I hadn't seen them for months. I was so excited they had showed up. All of a sudden my dad comes up tying that little skinny tie they used to be back then. He said, now, uh, now you're welcome to stay or you can come to church with us. Or you can wait. We're going to church and, and, and we'll be back in a little while. And I remember my, my, my relatives, they were just incredulous. Like, we haven't been here in months. <clears throat> you mean you're, you're going to leave us? My dad never even thought twice. Adios. <laughs> we're going to church. You can come if you want. Or you can sit here and wait till we get back. Or you can leave. But either way, we're going to church. And that's my, my dad. I asked, we... <laughs> I still remember seeing him. My mom and I would drive with uh, someone else at times. And my dad had this horrible car called a, a Plymouth Valiant. It was a terrible car. It was my first car when I started driving. It had terminal cancer and hardening of the arteries and uh, indigestion. And there was lots of things wrong with that car. But it was, you couldn't kill it. It just, it just went and went and went and went. And I still remember going around a turn one time and I was in this car that was green with a lot of Bondo. Um, we all knew who it was. It was halfway across our city. It was my dad coming around with them turns, hurrying to get back home so he could dress and be at church on time. And uh, just getting off of work. But he, I, that's just the way I was raised. I, 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 um, Tithing, tithing is a revelation. Uh, there are a lot of people that tithe out of duty. There are people that do it out of fear. Uh, some tithe out of greed, which is amazing. Uh, the reason they give is because they're convinced God's going to give them more money. Um, 
But when you really get the revelation of tithing, it's very simple. That tithe isn't mine. It's not mine. It's his. And, and he's trusting me with something that's his to see if I have enough maturity and understanding to return it to its rightful owner. You've got to get the revelation of that. And uh, I can go on and on, but here's my text. Jude verse 9. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. There's not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. And um, I'll, I'll do it in the next uh, Bible class, but it, it talks about speaking ign- evil of dignities, dignities. <clears throat> and it's not talking about the president or the governor um, the, the, the word for dignities is doxa. If you wrote it in English, it would look like D-O-X-A, which is Greek word for spirit. And um, I'm getting ahead of myself if I try and explain all that to you now. Um, the book of Jude is the Obadiah of the New Testament. Um, when you, you study Jacob and Esau, when Jacob came back and he heard that his brother was coming with, I think it was 300 men, he got afraid and made his children and his family go, and he went to pray, and that's where his name was changed to Israel. The Bible said that when Enoch, or when Jacob met Esau, It said Esau ran and fell on his brother's neck. And it looks like, it looks like they buried the hatchet. But uh, they buried, uh, Esau buried the hatchet, but he buried it in Jacob's back. And I'll tell you why. Because if you stay the book of Genesis, Esau had a boy named Eliphaz. And Eliphaz had a boy named Amalek. When Israel came out of Egypt, probably Exodus 17, somewhere around there, you you have to realize, according to the book of Galatians, they've been in Egypt for 430 years. Now, the Bible says in the book of Exodus, there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And it took 300 years for that to happen. Fascinates me. Most people die and you're forgotten in a couple days. How great of a man was Joseph that he literally affected national policy for three centuries after he died. Wow. Amazing. And finally, there was a king, a pharaoh, that got on the throne who said, I don't, have, I don't, I don't know who Joe was. I'm going to do what I want to do. But it took 300 years for that to happen. But Galatians says they were in Egypt for 430 years. So all of Egypt, of course, was not captivity. But about 130 years of it was. 
Now, I don't know what all they did. There's a big debate about whether they built the pyramids or whether they didn't. But they were slaves. <clears throat> uh, uh, basically, as far as I'm concerned, all they did for 130 years was lay bricks and have kids. So when they get out of the bondage of Egypt, this is not a trained army. They, they, they don't know nothing. But uh, Joshua musters a group of people. And this is what it says in the book of, I believe it's Exodus 17. If not, I'm sure Matthew will find it because he's, Matthew, would you please let me just say in front of these people, you're a gift to this church and I love you, man. I love you. I have preached in lots and lots and lots of places. No one follows me like you. And, uh, and I love you for that. But it says somewhere in the book of Exodus, then cometh Amalek. So the first fight that they had after they got out of Egypt was with their own cousins, Esau's kids. You carry that theme through the word of the Lord and you will end up in a one chapter warning known as Obadiah. Moses said this. When you get into the land and you live in a house you didn't build, you drink from wells that you didn't dig, and you sup from vineyards you didn't plant, do not forget what Amalek did to you along the way. Hundreds of years later, a prophet told Saul, I want you to destroy the Amalekites. The Bible said he killed them from Havilah to Shur, which is 1,600 square miles. And then the Lord woke up the prophet and he said, Saul has disobeyed my voice. When the prophet goes to see Saul, it says, Saul said, watch, blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. One of the greatest messages I ever heard in my life was, was preached by this amazing elder that I talk about every now and then named George Glass Sr. I heard George Glass Sr. preach a message called Incomplete obedience. Not disobedience. Incomplete obedience. And that was his text. When Saul ran to the prophet and said, I have performed the command. I did what you asked me to do. And then the next verse is the prophet saying, really? Then why do I keep hearing these cows and these sheep? The lowing of the oxen and the bleed. And he said, oh, I got something better than that. Come here, let me show you. He had this king by the name of Agag. When Agag, who was in a cage, saw the preacher coming, the Bible said he straightened himself. It's like preacher's going to give me a pardon and get me out of jail. And Saul saying, look what we got. <laughs> and Samuel said, let me have your sword. And it's one of the most violent verses anywhere in the Bible. When they let 
Agag out of the cage, the Bible said, and Samuel hewed him in pieces before the Lord. He chopped him up. He grabbed Saul's garment and ripped it and said, there'll be no one else from the house of Saul sitting on the throne of Israel. And if you know your Bible, it was an Amalekite that told David, Saul's dead. I killed him for you. There's a lot of lessons you can get out of it, but one lesson you better realize. Um, there's just some things you got to do your best to kill all of it. And you don't leave none of it left. It's hard to be just a little bit pregnant. Okay? And uh, the Bible talks about a little leaven. Leaven's the whole lump. And David gets on the throne and he said, is there anybody left of the house of Saul? And they say, yep, one limping grandson by the name of Mephibosheth. There's nowhere in the Bible where Mephibosheth was ever married or had any children. So the prophecy of Samuel came true. But Amalek existed. You go into the book of Obadiah and it's this fascinating. It says, though thou make thy nest among the stars, if the great gatherers would have come, surely they would have found a grape. But it said, then it says this, how art thou cut off? And it's exclamation point. It's like, it's, it's not asking you a question. It's like, how art thou cut off? And it said, talks about the bats are going to take over your habitation. Now, it's a horrible example, but I think a lot of you will be able to identify with it. When we were in, when Renee, Renee, when, when Renee and I were in Okinawa, one of the young converts said, Oh, pastor, you got to come and go with us. And where are we going? We're going to go see a movie. We're going to go see a movie about the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, we didn't go, but uh, it was Indiana Jones. And uh, they were so excited because they knew I'd love to hear something about the Ark of the Covenant. Tell, tell the president I can't talk to him right now, okay? There is a place in Indiana Jones, the first one, whatever it was called. He's on a horse and he rides through this narrow little valley. And he comes into this courtyard and there are these fabulous buildings carved out of the face of a mountain. The technical name for it is Petra or Petra. This is where the descendants of Esau ended up. They built this place. If you've ever studied history, you'll read about a guy named Alexander the Great. They said Alexander the Great conquered the world by the time he was 40. And since there were no more places to conquer, he set himself down and cried himself to death. There's another story that says, that a wise man met him 
Of course, this is fable. I don't know if it was fact. But he said to the wise, the wise men said, why are you so despondent? He said, because I've conquered all of the countries of the world. And there's nothing left to conquer. And the wise men said, why don't you go home and try and conquer yourself? You got it, Matthew? I love you, man. Now you look at that. That's not bricks. They carved that thing out of that mountain. This is what it's referring to when it said, though you make your nest among the stars. Because this is the one place Alexander the Great could not conquer. Because he had these giant war machines, but they wouldn't fit through the narrow canyon on the way to Petra. History says the women rolled rocks down on his soldiers and made a wall of dead soldiers so high they just gave up. What I do know is this. This thing was abandoned for hundreds and hundreds of years until it basically was discovered pristine and there was nothing there but spider webs and bats because the trade routes moved. And these people who had built these fabulous buildings in the stone up in the top of this mountain did business trading But the trade routes moved. So there was no one to barter with. There was no one to make money, no gain. They all disappeared. And this is what Obadiah is talking about. Just wouldn't listen to what the Lord said. So you have what's known as the book of Acts. But technically, it's it's not the book of Acts. (laughs) Uh, If you really say it right, it's the Acts of the Apostles. And there's one verse in Jude 19, kind of sums up the whole thing. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So, The book of Acts is is the book of the Acts of the Apostles because there are apostles and there are apostates. And and the book of Acts is, is basically about people who are filled with the Spirit. But the book of Jude, just there's only two books that I know is just, uh, is it, there may be one more. But, But off the top of my head, Jude and Obadiah, there's just one chapter. And Jude is about people who don't have the spirit. And here we have what to me is an amazing conflict, a a confrontation between two former associates. Um, I I say this many times. Uh, I'll say it again. I I believe this is probable, but I I can't prove it. I, I... I I think there's a lot of Bible to possibly infer that the angels were divided into thirds. One of the reasons for this is in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4. It talks about when Satan was cast out of heaven. And it says his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. Now, if you go to verse Chapter 1 and verse 20 of the book of Revelation, it says the stars are the angels. 
So if you go right before it, it talks about Satan, that old dragon, the serpent. It identifies who we're talking about here. When he fell, he took a third with him. Um, I, I, it is very probable that, that Lucifer was one of three beings known as archangels. I, I've heard people talk about Michael the archangel. It's not arc. It's arch. And just like there are bishops and over them are archbishops, I'm convinced there are angels and there are archangels. There's a word. It's only used one time in the Bible. It's in uh, Isaiah 61, seraphims. It means the ones above. It could mean the ones above the throne. It could mean the ones above all the others. But we have three Angels mentioned in the Bible, Lucifer, Michael, Gabriel. Four times the angel Gabriel is mentioned in the Bible. Every time Gabriel is mentioned, he's bringing a, a message, usually about the Messiah. This is the one that told Mary. You know, it's just, it's, it's usually dealing with the Lord himself. Four times. Michael is mentioned. Daniel 10, Daniel 12, this verse in Jude 9, and Revelation 12 and 7. Every time Michael is mentioned, he's fighting. He's in a conflict. Lucifer, Gabriel, Michael. It is possible, it's my personal belief, that each of them were given charge over one-third of the angelic host. Thus, when you deal with Lucifer, and it talks about his tabrets and his pipes, and uh, there's so many different verses, I don't have time to quote them all to you now. I personally believe Lucifer was the choir director. I think he was the worship leader. I saw a movie, and here we go again for the second time talking about a movie. But I'm weird, see, I don't see movies as movies when I see a movie, it's, it's, uh, and, and now I don't go to the movie theater. I, uh, I made a covenant with the old gentleman that started this church, Carl Hill, that uh, I, I, I wouldn't go to movies, movie theaters. Uh, I don't know what the difference is between not going to an actual movie theater and watching something on YouTube. Um, Probably nothing. I just, I just don't want somebody to see me standing in line at the movie theater and there's a lot of stuff there and they're going, wonder which one pastor's going to see. I just don't want to send a bad message. But when you really get down to it, there's not that much difference. So when I say I saw a movie, I didn't go to the movie theater. It's probably self-righteous to say that. But I saw this movie with Steve Martin called Leap of Faith. When I see movies, I always think about church. I just, it's just what I do, you know. I, when I, I had a friend, you Rose, and I said, asked him one time, what's your favorite movie? And he said, uh, what's that Mel Gibson thing when he was the, the, the guy that was trying to get Ireland away from England? What's that called? Braveheart. 
when he said that, I, I understood exactly what he was talking about. I never really could wrap my mind around how violent the Old Testament is until I saw Braveheart. With all them horses and all them swords and wow, that was a blood fest. I saw Steve Martin. He was a phony evangelist. And he would come out with this jacket on with all these sequins. And they had a light that would hit him. And when that light would hit him, it was a rainbow, you know. And when I saw that, I went, yep, now I understand. Because it said Lucifer had these stones on him. Nine of them. There were actually 12, but he only had nine. I asked, there was a man that came to church here years ago. He was a physicist. And I asked him, what? What is, what is light? What is it? And he grinned and he said, we don't know. We don't know. He said, all I can tell you, Pastor Hoffman, is there are lots of similarities between light and sound. They both have waves. They both have what are known as crests and valleys. Made perfect sense to me. He spake. There was light. When the Lord spoke, think of it. Here's Lucifer and he's got these gems on him. And the Lord speaks and this light. There's a movie that I heard about not long ago because it's subjects fascinated me. It's called Oppenheimer. It's, it's about the man who was responsible for the first nuclear bomb in, uh, in Mexico, New Mexico, rather. When they detonated the first nuclear weapon, they didn't know what was going to happen. There's something known as the Van Allen radiation belts that go around this earth. They were frightened that when they detonated that thing, it was going to keep going and it would ignite the atmosphere of the world. When the first nuclear weapon went off, Oppenheimer said this. It's a quote from Hindu. It said in, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Shiva. When that light went off, there were two men that died premature. There's been 60 people die through the years from exposure to radiation that were in our labs. But the first two died in uh, New Mexico. They, they, they were trying to bring plutonium just to the edge of an uncontrolled reaction. And they were stacking bars of metal around this orb of plutonium. And they had a Geiger counter and it would show them how much activity was going on in an atomic level in that ball. And the story goes that the first man that died, he, he dropped one of these metal bricks by mistake. And it hit this table where this ball, this orb of plutonium was. And they said for one brief moment, he, he lived for 30 days, but he said for one brief moment, I saw a light like nothing ever existed before. When they detonated the first nuclear weapon, they, they all told them, you put these glasses on because this thing will burn the retinas out of your eyes. I wonder what it was like when the Lord spoke and boom, like, 
And that light would hit those gems that were on the sport coat of Lucifer. And a rainbow went throughout the universe. It seems that with time he got feeling like he was the big deal. And he never understood he was the reflection of light. He wasn't the source of light. And, and, and this, this, this story fascinates me because here you've got these two power brokers. One is now the adversary. That's what the word Lucifer means. And then you've got Michael. And here's the flip side of that. I, that's why I say it's not provable, but Michael is known as the one that stood before the Lord. And it doesn't say archangels. It says archangel. It's possible there was only one. And there are times in the word you will read about the angel of the Lord. It, it may be him. But, but think of this. Think, think of that verse in, 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 is it Matthew 5 or Matthew 6? Thy will be done in earth. As it is in heaven. Think of the original heaven. You, you've, 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 you've got a worship angel and his third. You have a messenger angel and his third. You've got a warrior angel and his third. That to me is, is the perfect analogy of a church service. That first of all, you have some worship. And then you have some word. And then you have some warfare. That's what altar service ought to be. Taking the word out for a drive. Let's see what happens when we lay hands on people. Let's see what happens when we surround, when we magnify the Lord and see if he can't fill the place. It's, it's, it's fascinating. But, but that, that's an old revelation. If you've been around here for any time, I, I've mentioned that. Here, here, for instance, here's Joshua 5 and verse 12. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. You see, if all I ever give you is old corn, there won't be any fresh manna coming. So I'm not here tonight just to give you old corn. I'm just trying to bring us up to speed. So let's go back to the text. You've got two former associates after the same thing. They're disputing about the body of Moses. This is Psalms 8 and verse 5. For you made him a little lower than the angels. Two powerful beings fighting over something that is obviously so much less than they were. My Bible lesson will revolve around this. Why were they fighting? What, what is so significant about the physical body of someone that was obviously lower than they were? I'll try to show you the revelation, or rather, just how plentiful revelation is. How many of you know that Noah was a carpenter? How many of you know that? I'd say most of you. But do you know that Noah was a preacher? Noah was a preacher. How do I know that? Because the Bible said, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. 
But if you look behind me on the board, that's not Genesis 6 and 7. That's New Testament. That's 2 Peter 2 and 5. Do you remember a man by the name of Enoch? One of only two men in the Bible who never suffered a natural death. This is what it says in 5 and 24. I always like this. He walked with God and he was not. God took him. (laughs) It's almost like the guy got so close to the Lord that he said, you know, boy, it's closer to my house today than it is to yours. Come and go home with me. And you're tracking Enoch out in the desert and all of a sudden there's these sandal tracks and all of a sudden he's gone. God took him. What a way to go, man. This is what Hebrews says. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God translated him. Had his testimony. He pleased God. But how many of you know that Enoch was more than just a, a good guy? Do you know that Enoch is, is known as a prophet in the Bible? There's 40 people in the Bible that are known as prophets. How do I know this? In Jude, verse 14, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. How in the world did Peter know Noah was a preacher? How did Jude know Enoch was a prophet? Let me remind you of who Jude's half-brother was. Because in Matthew chapter 13, it says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not these his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude or Judas? You see that book of James in the Bible and that book of Jude? Those are the half-brothers of Jesus. There's a great verse in the book of Acts. It says, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they took knowledge of them. They'd been with Jesus. I am convinced Jesus told stuff to his half-brother that other people didn't know because he's the great I am. And he gave him revelation and insight. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive? Can I see your hand? Ever heard that? Who said that? Huh? Your grandmother. (laughs) Before her. Jesus said that. But let me ask you a question. You know, for years, I've I've asked this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all end with the same story. What's the story? Very good, class. John 7 
says, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Watch, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. That's why you have to go beyond Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to find out about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because nobody got the Holy Ghost in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why? Because he hadn't left and he wasn't glorified. But where in the Bible is that verse? It's better to give than it is to receive. Anybody got any ideas? It's in the book of Acts. It's not anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. It's, let me give an example. Do you remember Moses standing in front of Pharaoh and, 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 and the Bible said he turned his rod into a snake? Remember that? And then it says that Pharaoh brought his magicians and they turned their rods into snakes. Does anybody know the names of the magicians that confronted Moses? Does anybody know? If you do, say it. Say it. What? I'm, man, I don't hear good, man. Uh, say that one more time. Okay. According to the Bible... Their names are Janus and Jambres. How do I know that? It's in 2 Timothy 3 and 8. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Do you get what I'm trying to show you here? Those aren't Old Testament names. There's nowhere in, in the Torah, there's nowhere in those first, there's, there's nowhere there where it identifies those magicians. But Paul knew their name. And I want to know how. How did he know? Have you ever studied the story of Elijah? The Bible said Elijah prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. How do we know that? Well, let me give you a verse. This is James chapter 5 and verse 17. Elias or Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. If you know your Bible, we're talking 1 Kings 17. That's a, there's nowhere in the Old Testament where it says it didn't rain for three years and six months. That little bit of information is in the New Testament. The Lord makes reference to this in the book of Luke. And if you really want to understand Moses and Pharaoh, you need to read Acts 7. Acts 7 is a fascinating verse because it's the, the sermon, the last sermon of a guy named Stephen. Stephen refers to Israel as the church in the wilderness. And chapter seven, I remember I went chapter by chapter and verse by verse through the, I started years ago, I did Genesis 
There's 50 chapters in Genesis. When we had Bible study every Wednesday, I took a chapter every Wednesday. Took a year to do Genesis. Then it worked so good and people enjoyed it so much, we did Exodus. And we did every chapter of Exodus. There's 40 of those. Then I went to the book of Acts. It took over a year and a half. I went verse by verse through the 28 chapters of the book of Acts. But when you get to Acts chapter 7, you're talking serious chapter. And it's the last sermon of Stephen. And there's all kinds of tidbits in there that are nowhere in the Old Testament. Where did those guys get that information at? Where did they get that stuff at? Because Jude is giving insight that, that you can't find anywhere. There's nowhere else. Yeah, this, is, this is something very powerful. And, and you, you got Michael and, 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 and Lucifer squaring off. And, 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 and in Daniel 10, it, 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 seems, it seems to be that every time I read about Michael, he's fighting for the people of God. And most specifically, he's fighting for the nation of Israel. And, and, and here's Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. And at that time, Michael showed up. You know, Daniel started fasting and praying. Nothing happened. After three weeks, Gabriel came to him and said, look, I, I, I left. I left first day, but it's been three weeks and, and the Prince of Persia withstood me, but Michael came and pushed him out. Now here I am. I know I'm three weeks late, but I still get the message. And you get the 12, chap, chap, Daniel chapter 12. And at that time, Michael showed up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. Yeah. That there shall be a time of trouble. I, I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but... That, 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 that phrase is a big, I was going to preach about this Sunday, but whatever. God will give me something else. Because Jesus refers to this in Matthew 24 and in Luke 24. Here's Luke 24 and verse 38. Does this, is this relevant to you? Why are you troubled? And why do these thoughts arise in your hearts? I got to be honest with you. I'm done with the news. I, 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 I used to read stuff every morning. And so I don't want to read that no more. All it does is depress me. I'm tired of hearing about transgender this and, and Bud Light sales are, aren't what they were. And, oh, I feel so bad for Anheuser-Busch. You know, I, I, politically, we are in a mess. I don't care what side of the line you're on. There's a bunch of people don't want Joe and there's a bunch of people don't want Trump. I heard Arnold Schwarzenegger. They asked him, he said, if you were a United States citizen, would you run for president? He said, absolutely. And I'd win. And he said, I'll tell you why. Because most people don't want either one of them. I don't know what your argument is and I'm not here to fight and fuss off with you. But I, I think we'll all agree. This is a sham. This is a mess that we're in right now, an absolute mess. And if you're not careful, that spirit in that world will burglarize your heart and it'll steal your joy. And I'll have to have Draylon up here for an hour and a half before I preach. Just like Saul called for a minstrel, drive this evil spirit off of me. I'll get up there to preach. I don't think so. Draylon, do it again. <laughs> Why? Because people come to church heavy. Have you ever heard this verse? Let not your heart be troubled. Troubled. 
I don't have time, but I can give you verse after verse where the Bible talks about the time of Jacob's trouble. This is a big deal in the Bible. And, and it's just, this is a catchphrase that the Lord uses. And, 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 and what, what you have again and again is Satan trying to abort the plan of God. It's interrupted ministry. And, and that's the background. What, what in the world are either of them interested in the physical body of Moses? There's over 500 verses in the Bible about Moses, but there's only one verse about the actual physical body of Moses. So let's go back before we finish. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Pebor, but no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. The ministry of Moses is interrupted. I've never been to a hockey game, but uh, at the end of this last, of leading these people for 40 years, God put Moses in a penalty box. And, and in verse 4, it says, I'm going to let you see it, but I'm not going to give you the privilege. I'm studying this today. I've been here most of the day. I realize where I am now in my life. It was fun because I, I got to talk to Social Security this week. And it was like, yeah. And I got a good guy on there and I said, man, I've been giving money to these people since I was 14. I'm glad to finally be getting some of it back. Guess what? I'm still going to get taxed. I paid taxes on it when it went in. I'm going to pay taxes on it when it comes out. What a, what a scam. Wow. But I never thought of it until today. There's a big debate about this verse. See, if you believe as I do that Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then who wrote this? There are two schools of thought. Some elder finished the book after Moses died, or as I believe, I believe he wrote it all. I think Moses wrote his epitaph. You know, when you go to a funeral and you get that little page of paper? I don't want to do something foolish like so many of my predecessors have done and die without achieving the purpose of God in my life. How hard was it, Moses, to write those words, knowing you're not going to get to do what you thought was your absolute zenith and purpose of God in your life? I preached in Alexandria one time before old Brother Mangan died. And I said, I'll tell you one reason. I told them, I said, I'll tell you one reason why I respect this church. You've never been touched by scandal. Never. Your ministry's been pure. If you've been here, I've said this. 
Every time I've dedicated a baby for the last 35 years, I get down in front of there, and first of all, I pray for that family, and then I pray for this church, and then I pray for me. And if you've been here for any dedication, I will always say this, God, you take me before I do something stupid to bring reproach on this work and this child grow up and say, whatever happened to Pastor Hoffman? Where's he at? I don't know where you are and what season of life you're in right now, but I'm way past half. I'm on the downside of this thing right now. I can't afford the luxury of getting stupid now. Please hear me. Be faithful. Serve the Lord with integrity. To your dying breath, be faithful unto the king. Because I don't want my ministry to be interrupted. This man's was. Listen to this verse. I'm done. He buried him in a valley in the land of Moab. Oh, here's my question. I want to know who shut the door to the ark. Yes. It says, and the Lord shut to the door. <laughs> Question is, could Moses, could Noah get out? There is a place in him. I'm not talking about, I, I've heard talk, people use this for Calvinism, unconditional secure. Once you're saved, you're always saved. I, I keep saying this again. All you've got to do is read the first story in the Bible and it destroys that myth. It looks to me they could stay in paradise as long as they obeyed. Obey, you get to stay. Disobey, you get booted out. Revelation said, I won't blot your name out of the book of life, which infers I can blot your name out. Don't get in this thing. Once I speak in tongues, I got the seal of good housekeeping on me and I get a free ride. You're crazy. The Bible talks about the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The washing of water by the word. That's why we don't baptize you again and again and again, or everyone else is going to get in, that, get in that pot every Sunday. But the word ought to wash us. All right? Who buried Moses? He did. And there's several reasons for this. I don't have time to go into all this. There's something known as a fetish. I, I, I won't quote I, I, Josephus. Some of you may know who Josephus was. I found this in, in the book, in the fourth uh, edition, or the fourth chapter of, 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 of Josephus. There's lots in Jewish tradition about the body of Moses. There, you remember that story about that brazen serpent in the book of, what is it, Numbers? God sent a plague and God gave him a remedy. All you had to do is look at the brass snake and you'd be healed. Isn't it kind of cool that even to this day, the international symbol for the medical community is a stake, snake on a stick. Six hundred and ninety years later, somebody found that sucker in a garage sale. 
And they started burning incense to it and said, this is one of the gods that got us out of Egypt. And Hezekiah broke it up and said, it's just a bunch of junk. It's a bunch of metal. That's what rabbis were convinced would have happened with the body of Moses. If they could have... There's this guy. I see him all the time. Dr. Zawi Hawass. And if you've ever been around Egyptology and archaeology, you know who I'm talking about. This guy who's the head of Egyptian antiquities. He's got this cowboy hat on like Indiana Jones. and He's an old man, but he still, he still wants to be right in the middle of everything. And I saw this thing recently. They discovered a tomb in Egypt. I, I just... It has to be within the last three months. And, man, they're prying the lid off of that thing. And they're taking these mummies out of there. And, and it just they're just going on and on and on about it. What would have happened if someone could have found Moses' gravesite? They would have worshipped it. This is, this is Moses' finger. You know, this is, this is Moses' big toe. You know, this is, this is, this is just thinner reading that stuff. This is the introduction to this lesson. But there are two ministries in the Bible that were interrupted. And they pop up on the horizon at a later date. My message is quite simple and a warning to myself and to the others. I don't want my ministry to be interrupted. I don't want it to come to an end. See, there's a man that I'm supposed to be, that I have not yet become. And that's the guy that torments me. See, you're not going to be judged against me, and I'm not going to be judged against you. We're going to be judged against the man and the woman God called us to be. God help us to become everything that he intends us to become. Will you stand? Lord Jesus, we got almost 50 plus people in St. Louis right now. Oh, Jesus. I I got boys there that got their first pimple on their forehead. I got girls there so nervous about what they're going to look like in a new dress. We got a girl... Possibly an abject terror right now because tomorrow night she's going to be in front of what might be the largest crowd in her whole life. I'm asking you, God, right now. I don't want him to fuss. I don't want the enemy. I don't want to fly in the ointment. I don't want him to get distracted. I'm asking you, Lord, that you would be with Draylen and Kelsey, that you would be with, 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 with Josh and Marcel. And all the others, God, that are there to watch out for our kids. But most of all, for our kids. Oh, Jesus. You said that you're magnified in the midst of a congregation. And I believe if one Christian is one power and ten are ten power, then how powerful can you be in the middle of 40,000 young people? I'm asking you, God, for a dynamic unlike anything they have ever known for them to realize I am not alone. I'm sure they've been stranded under their tree like an old prophet was years ago and said, I'm the only one left. And the Lord said, I got thousands that haven't bowed a knee to that God. I want these young people to see they are not alone. I want them to see that there's a great representation and a powerful witness 
of not just elders with white hair, but young men and young women who have consecrated their lives. I want that, God. I want them to see that. I want them to want it. I ask that your favor would be upon them. Traveling mercies would be upon them, Lord. I want more preachers. I'm grateful for Dwayne and I'm grateful for Sean Cabot. I'm grateful, Lord, for Brother Kinsler and grateful for Jamil and I'm grateful for Ron Lichto. And I, I, but, but, oh God, I'd like a whole bunch of preachers to come out of this meeting. I'd like a bunch of missionaries to come out of this meeting. I want this church, God, to be a hothouse, amen, for things to grow. I want it to be a place where your favor is on what we do. And I play, pray respectfully and, and with as much honor as I know how, Lord. Oh, God. I believe you called us to this city, every one of us. I believe we've got a purpose in this community to achieve. And I ask you, Lord, that we don't do something stupid, that we interrupt the obvious calling and the purpose of God in our lives. Guide us and direct us, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's thank him together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.